Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, today is going to be a recording that I did while on the boat in the summer of 2019. I talk about my <laughs> the podcast I released previously, which was a conversation we had aboard Yurt, sailing vessel Yurt, the Whitmer family. I talk about that a little bit in this podcast, and I should have actually released that episode after this one. So when we come to that, just ignore it if you've listened to the previous podcast. Before we get into the podcast, let me thank my sponsor, Sailrite. Since 1969, Sailrite has been equipping you with everything you need to sew for your boat, from bimini's and boat covers to upholstery work and even sewing your own sails. Sailrite is your one-stop shop for fabric, sail and canvas kits, tools, hardware and sewing supplies. Sailrite is also the maker of the patented Ultrafeed sewing machine, a portable heavy-duty machine that can handle all the sewing jobs for your boat and more. A passionate crew of DIYers, Sailrite produces high-quality, free how-to videos to empower their customers to turn their sewing dreams into a reality. Before we get on to the podcast, I have a question from one of our listeners. Get ready for today's mailbag. I like getting emails from my friends out there, so if you have any thoughts, comments, suggestions, or questions, write me franz1 at medsailor.com or use the contact form at the website. Now for today's email. Get ready for today's mailbag. I like getting emails from my friends out there, so if you have any thoughts, comments, suggestions, or questions, write me franz1 at medsailor.com or use the contact form at the website. Now for today's emails. So this question comes from Philip. Philip wrote, Hi, Franz. I really enjoy your podcasts. We are Americans and bringing our Hylus 46 to the Med next year for extended cruising. What are the current rules for lengths of stay for us in the EU? What are the current rules for the lengths of stay for us in the EU? How long can we stay before having to leave? And how long must we be out? Do all EU countries really enforce this? How about Turkey? Thanks for any helpful information. Maybe we can meet up next summer. Phil Quirk, Sailing Vote, Southern Cross. All right, Phil, this is my understanding, and I'm by no means an expert in this, but my understanding, and I don't know how seriously they enforce this right now. I know they're getting more and more serious as time goes on. Bureaucracies have to have a way to justify themselves, and this is one of the ways they justify themselves is by restricting free travel. 
Uh, but of course, okay, I'm not going to go down that path because I have very strong opinions on who they let into countries for what reasons and who they don't. But anyway, if you're paying your own way uh, and contributing to the economy, you are limited to staying in the EU, the Schengen area of the EU. Uh, my understanding is you can stay in the Schengen area for three months, and then you have to be out of the Schengen area for another three months to be able to go back into the Schengen area. Now, I don't understand how this works. So if you're flying back and forth a lot and you stay in the Schengen area for three months continuously, then you are supposed to be out of the Schengen area for a, at least three months before you come back into the Schengen area. Now, there is one area in Europe that's not considered part of the Schengen Agreement, at least that I'm aware of. I know that Croatia is not part of the Schengen Agreement. So sailors typically will stay in the Schengen area, and Greece is in the Schengen area for three months, clear out of Greece and go into Croatia for three months. But my understanding is once you're out of the Schengen area for three months, to gain additional time in the Schengen area, you're supposed to continue to stay out. So if you wanted an additional three months in the Schengen area, you would need to stay out of the Schengen area a total of six months. So you could go and spend three months in Croatia, and then you would need to go somewhere else and spend another three months somewhere else. You ask about Turkey. Turkey's not part of the Schengen Agreement. I hope it never becomes a part of the EU or the Schengen Agreement because that's one of the last places you can go in the Mediterranean to avoid uh, the VAT tax. Uh, the Schengen and non-Schengen areas both have the VAT tax that you have to worry about, and that means you need to get your boat out of the EU uh, every 18 months, or you are subject to the VAT tax. Now, we've had some listeners to this podcast write in great detail about the Schengen area, and I can't remember the listener off the top of my head, but I know he's written me emails in the past about the ridiculous Schengen rules that he's trying to follow living in Portugal. And you can go back and listen to some of those podcasts. I can't tell you what they are off the top of my head, uh, but they're past podcasts where I read his letters about the Schengen area. That is my understanding. I could be incorrect if we have listeners out there that are experts uh, we could do an actual podcast episode on this if you'd like to come on the podcast and explain your understanding if you're an expert in uh, traveling and visas and so forth in the European Union and the Schengen and non-Schengen areas. That's the best I can do for you. That's it for today's emails. If you have any thoughts suggestions or comments or questions write me franz1 at medsailor.com or use the contact form at the website if you want to do me a big favor you could become a patreon of the podcast i have a few listeners out there that are already patrons and i'm looking for more if you have some spare change that you could throw my way once in a while please sign up at patreon.com backslash medsailor and one more thing, if you like the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you could take the time to write a review of the podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast directory. All right, let's get on to today's episode. Well, it's July 29th, 2019, and I'm at an Anchorage near uh let's see let me look at this 
Valcagoya. V-A-L-C-A-G-O-I-A. Anyway, it's north of Lemmy Channel on the Istria Peninsula. And I'm going to go back and talk about the summer sailing season since I got here on July 5th. And it's been a um, bittersweet summer. Uh, Let me tell you that right up front. I don't... It's funny. I really would like to do more podcasts on the boat, but quite honestly, I'm too involved in sailing and doing the other things on the boat that I just don't get around to it very much. But I just got done spending about an hour (laughs) jotting down notes, and if I were a good sailor, I would keep my log up to date on a daily basis, but I don't, and you hear a lot of shuffling of paper in the background, and I'm going to grab my my up-to-date log and this is just a real cursory log but anyway you know when I talked about going sailing this summer I talked about the projects that I had to do on the boat before I went sailing and and one of those big projects was the uh, fuel lift pump and the other one was changing the mixing elbow because I was getting overheating on the engine and also I was having problems delivering fuel uh, to the fuel system so two different problems I had to deal with so we arrived on July 5th my wife and I took a trip we stopped in Amsterdam for three or four days I met with another sailor another fan of the podcast uh, for supper while we were in Amsterdam Jocks was his name, and he lives near Amsterdam, actually lives a little north of Amsterdam, but he has an apartment in Amsterdam because he's down there on business quite often. So he and his wife came down and met my wife and I, and we had supper, and we spent probably three hours just talking about sailing. And he has a boat in Sardinia, and he flies back and forth to Sardinia to go sailing. He's been a listener of the podcast for quite a while, and he wrote me a after I left we met at the restaurant and he told me about this weather app that he uses and he wrote me a detailed description on how to use it because there's no English version of this app and I'm going to post that in the uh, in the show notes for this so that we can share it with everybody else out there so anyway my wife and I had a good time wandering around Amsterdam the weather was just perfect uh, it was just cool and comfortable and easy for walking and we did a lot of walking did the typical tour stuff went to the Rijksmuseum and then we went out and visited the windmills and if my wife felt comfortable on a bicycle we would have rented bikes but she doesn't feel comfortable riding bikes so we did a lot of walking a lot of walking so we got on the boat on the July well on July 5th we flew from Amsterdam down to the boat and the first night we just got things out of the boat so we could sleep on the boat and it was hot 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 thank god we have these fans if you uh if you go in the mediterranean and you don't have air conditioning on your boat like i don't you need to get some fans and the best fans i've found have, have been these little fans from west marine they take four d-cell batteries and four of those d-cell batteries will will run pretty much um at least a month and we would have them fairly close to our face while we're sleeping at night without that it would just be unbearable down below 
So heads up, make sure you have fans. I've bought a couple cheap ones from from Amazon, and they they are nowhere near as good as the ones uh, that I got from West Marine several years ago. And I didn't go online in their catalog to see if they still sell the same brand. Uh, but the ones I got several years ago, I think I got three of them, and one of them still working on the boat, and it's blowing right now. There you go. You can hear it right there because it anchored, it's, it's sunny out there, and it's hot. It's hot. All right, so my projects were to replace the uh, mixing elbow and the fuel lift pump, and both of these projects are fairly easy projects, except... <laughs> in a cramped engine compartment. Now, I'm a big guy. I'm, I weigh 230 pounds, and I'm 6 feet 2, and I don't have a big engine compartment on this boat. So I've got to crawl in to the back of the engine and work with tools back there. My wife helped me by just basically handing tools to me as I needed tools, and that was a big help. Otherwise, I would have had to climb out of the engine compartment, get the right tool, climb back in and then change out the tools as I needed to. And my big fear, of course, is dropping a tool and it going down to the bilge. Even though I've got a, um, a little bit of a sole back there under the propeller, uh, I still worry about losing tools in the bilge. And I never have, fortunately, knock on wood. Um, so I pulled off the mixing elbow and I brought a new mixing elbow over with me as well as the coupling for the mixing elbow. And this is a Yanmar 3 GM30F, an old engine. It's 30 years old. And the mixing elbow is a three-part piece. There's the part that mounts to the engine block, and then a coupler, and then a U-shaped piece, which is the actual mixing elbow itself. And then that connects to a rubber hose that goes into the water muffler, and then it goes out the back of the boat. The water, as the water comes through. So the exhaust comes through, mixes with the water, and goes out the back of the boat. Okay, so I got it off, no problem. I've done it before. This, I think this will be my fifth time. And uh, I was having a hard time separating the piece that connects to the engine block from the coupler. So fortunately for me, I'm in a big marina where they have a sun sail base, and I went over to the sun sail base and asked them if I could uh, use their vice, and uh, I did, and I took a big <laughs> pipe wrench with me, and I clamped it in the vice, and I could not separate the piece, the flange that mounts it to the engine block from the coupler, and they had a bigger, <laughs> they, had a, they had about a three-foot pipe wrench, and so I got this three-foot foot pipe, pipe wrench on there, and still couldn't budget. Now, Keith Harvey, who's the manager of the Sunsail Base, and by the way, when I was talking to Josie Tucci, who's the uh, director of marketing of Sunsail, I mentioned that I'd known, I'd met uh, Keith Harvey years ago, and I, I told her, oh, he's the Australian guy. And I told Keith that I'd interviewed Josie. He wouldn't listen to the podcast, by the way. And he came and told me he had a bone to pick with me because he's South African and not Australian. And he said, you better apologize. And Keith, this is my apology to you. You are from South Africa and not Australia. 
I think I said you were from Australia and not South Africa, so I've corrected that, and I apologize. Anyway, Keith came in and said, well, let's heat it up with some, some propane. So we turned on a propane torch, heated it up, and after we heated it up long enough, I was able to twist off the coupling, but in the process, the coupling just cracked. And I thought, oh, no, what am I going to do now? Because getting a coupling like that for an old engine like that is very difficult. Keith went and looked through their parts, and the new mixing elbow that they have for the newer engines actually matches the uh, the bolt pattern for the back of the engine block. So instead of it being three pieces, the new ones on the new engines are just one piece, and it's stainless steel instead of cast iron. And I went back to the boat and searched through all my spares on the boat, and thank God I have a lot of spares on the boat. I found a spare coupler. So even though I could have used the one that Keith pulled out for me, I didn't need to because I had the actual one on the boat. And that just tells me in the future, next time I change the mixing elbow, which will probably be in about another five years, I will get all three pieces so I don't have to worry about this. I'll just unclamp it, take off the exhaust hose, throw all three of those pieces away, and put the new, the new three pieces already assembled together back on the boat. So, then the other part of this problem was, was changing the fuel lift. And so I had to go out around the back of the boat, or the back of the engine, I should say, and work my way around the back because I could not get to the engine. This is actually on the left side as you're facing back towards the stern of the boat. It's on the left side of the engine. And so I had to go in on the right side of the engine and twist around to come in over on the left side of the engine because there's no way to reach it on my boat. I just don't have enough room. I have a bulkhead right there next to the engine on the uh, on the left side. So I had to twist around and come in. It's an easy fix. If you can get at it, it's an easy fix. It's only two bolts and two fuel lines, but I couldn't. It was. It took me... Oh, probably two hours to get that fixed. And then once you've fixed that, you have to bleed the system. And I bled the system as well as I could while it was on the hard. And uh, just hoped that it would start when I put it in the water. The other thing I did while it was out of the water is I did replace the salt water pump impeller. And the one I took out looked really good, but that's still a good annual maintenance thing to do is change the salt water impeller. It now it takes about an hour. Uh, by the time you undo all the hoses and take it out, so you can work on it and put the new impeller in, it takes about an hour to do that. All right, so we got this all done, and we needed to launch on Saturday because otherwise we were stuck until Monday. So we were able to get everything done the next day. It was a long day, and I ached and hurt and hurt for several days after that because of the contortions that I had to do to get back to do all this work. And we launched the boat, and the engine started up right away, no problem at all, and we are headed out, out around the... Uh, we're, headed, we're, we're headed down to Sobtot because we need to clear out of Croatia and go to Montenegro. And by the way, I talked to Keith Harvey, and he said, Franz, you don't need to go down to Montenegro to start the time clock over. All you need to do is to clear out of Croatia, sail out 15 miles into international waters, 
and then turn around and then clear back into Croatia. He said that would suffice as far as getting your boat out of the EU. Now, if this is correct, and I'd like somebody to clarify this for me, if this is correct, then I can do that anywhere. I can clear out of Italy, go out to international waters, turn around and come back and clear into Italy or anywhere along the Mediterranean. And if that is the case, that makes my life a lot easier uh, as far as worrying about the 18-month rule for sailors. Now, this is the first time I've heard of this, but I guess as long as you get out into international waters and then come back into an EU country, you have effectively uh, started the time clock over again. I always thought you had to go to a non-EU country, but apparently, according to Keith, that's not correct. So that was very good information to get from Keith, and I hope that uh, I hope I can confirm that with other people. If you have any insight into this, let me know. All right, so we clear out. Uh, we get down to Sovtot. We clear out. So this is early in the morning. We leave ACI Marina in Dubrovnik. We head down. We clear out of customs in Sovtot, and then head down and clear into Montenegro, Porto Montenegro, and then we spend a couple nights at anchor at a little island. And then the, uh, about three days later, we head over to um, Kator. Kator, yeah, the, the walled city of Kator. We anchor there. We spend a couple nights there. And in the meantime, we also rent a car and we drive up to the national park. And <laughs> I don't think I'll do that again. I remember doing this before, and it was very, it was very fun. But I wasn't driving, and this time I was driving, and it is a narrow, narrow one-lane road, and there's there's quite a bit of traffic, and you're almost running into the car coming around the corner, so you have to almost stop, come to a dead standstill, move over as far as you can on your side of the road, and they move over as far as they can on their side of the road, and you creep past each other, and it was nerve-wracking. My wife enjoyed it, but it was nerve-wracking for me as as a driver. So I won't do that again, but it was pleasant for my wife. All right, so then we come back and sail back up to Sovtot and clear back in. And we hear that there's going to be bad weather that night. So we decided we didn't want to anchor at Sovtot because it's not that great of a holding area. So we head back up towards uh, AC. Well, we head back up to Dubrovnik. And I'm thinking, well, I'll, I'll anchor at uh, Zaton, which is just south of or just north of Dubrovnik, just north of the bridge that goes into Dubrovnik. And as I got there, I thought, no, if it's going to be a blow, the holding in Zatan is not that great. So I said, let's just go right up the river and just get outside the uh, the entrance to ACI Marina because I know that's good mud holding there. Well, as we're driving up, as we're motoring up the river there, the, the bora starts to hit and it becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. And in fact, it's so strong that they close down the marina, and you cannot go into the marina when it's blowing this strong. So we anchor just outside of the marina, and it's good holding. I do a double anchor because I wanted to make sure I had as much as I could down. And then I turn on my anchor alarm and I put on my charts, and we just basically swim, swing back and forth and back and forth. And it was literally hurricane force winds that night uh, through much of the night, but we we did not budge. It was good. We held very well. But let me tell you, I don't care how good your anchor is. You still don't sleep. You're always worried. You're always looking. And I got an email from somebody, uh, who was it? Um, 
Uh, I'd have to look in my email list. But that evening he said, oh, geez, Franz, I envy you out there sailing. And I told him, well, I'm on anchor watch, which is a pain in the ass. The wind's blowing storm force winds. And uh, so, in my opinion, the fantasy of sailing is <laughs> a lot different than the reality. All right. So we we pull into um, ACI Marina on the 12th. And that's the day after this big storm. And I tell Keith about the overheating problem I'm having. And at this point in time, I'm having problems starting the engine as well. Uh, and I can't figure out what it is because I, I thought I had gotten all the air out of the, uh, out of the fuel lines when I replaced the fuel lift pump. And I was starting to have a lot of problems in starting the engine in the morning. And... I thought, well, let's get a professional in here to take a look at it. Unfortunately for me, the Yanmar mechanic was not available to come down and look at the boat. So we just crossed our fingers and continued on. Now, I used to have two solar panels on the boat. So if I wore down my engine batteries or my house batteries, I could always recharge them. Well, I don't have that anymore. They both sort of gave up the uh, the ghost a few years ago and... That's one of my top projects for next year is getting solar back on the boat. But my big fear is not having enough juice to start the engine. So I've changed my plans around. During the day when I'm running the engine, I cool down the refrigerator. And at night, I basically turn it off and put insulation, a blanket on top of it. And don't run the refrigeration at night because I don't want to um, not have enough juice to start the engine in the morning. My daughter and her fiancé, they just got engaged a few days before, joined us on the boat on the 12th of July, and then we started motoring north. I'm just going to hit some of the highlights. Stopped in Mijet National Park. They rented some bicycles and rode around. We stayed a couple days there, and we had some more problems on the boat. Uh, when we were coming down the river from Dubrovnik, my wife said, "I we got a leak. And I came down below, and the sink, the galley sink that I put in 30 years ago, the flange at the bottom of the sink that connected to the hose that goes, that drains it into the sea, and there's a seacock right down below, had basically <laughs> corroded to where there was nothing there. And I could turn off the the um, seacock but then we had no way to drain the sink so i took it apart my daughter helped me and in the in the process of helping me she cut her wrist on the sharp edge of the uh, of the drain of the sink we were taking everything out and getting everything apart and i was down below trying to get this hose it was attached to the seacock 30 years ago off the seacock and it was it was difficult and I just started pushing it back and forth and in the process I squoze her wrist against the sharp edge of the sink and she got a cut and now we're worried about tetanus and so we get everything apart and we go in I'm thinking well let's take her to the hospital to get a tetanus shot and get the spare parts for the uh, for the sink and I wasn't sure what I would do, but we went to a couple plumbing supply places and a couple marine supply places, and we were able to cobble together a, a replacement drain for the uh, for the bottom of the sink. 
and all the parts for that. I brought all the parts back and just left them on the boat. And in the meantime, we put a pot underneath the sink to catch any uh, salt water, fresh water that we use to uh, wash dishes with. And then we'd take that pot and throw it overboard. Not the pot, but the water in the pot and throw it overboard. So that was what we did for a couple nights while uh, I, until I had the time to get under there and start working on uh, the, the, the permanent fix. And we were able to cobble together the parts for it. It's not the perfect fix, but it does the, does the job. And my daughter was able to look up her medical records, and she had had a tetanus shot within the last 10 years, so she didn't need to get a booster. So that was a good that was a good uh, good thing to find there. We just bandaged her up, and she was fine after a couple of days. My wife said it was a terrible cut. I looked at it, and it was to me it was a non-event, but. That's just me. I, mean, I cut myself like that all the time and don't give it a second thought. But my wife, <laughs> who who works in, who worked in the medical profession, is always looking at the worst case scenarios, where and tetanus would be a big deal. So, but fortunately, she had had a booster, and so we did not need to go in and do anything about that. So anyway, so we're up to Miet, and then we head up to Corchula, and then we head on up. The goal for this trip is to get all the way up to Kirka National Falls or Kirka National Park. It's one of the big, one of the two nice national parks in Croatia. And you can sail up the river to uh, just below the falls to a town called Scraden. And so we did. We went up to Scraden. We, we, we boogied on up there pretty darn fast. And... They're flying out. My wife flies out on July 23rd, and Michelle and Chris fly out on the next day, the 24th. So we get up to Scraddon. <laughs> Chris is swimming in the water, and it's it's almost fresh water up there. That's the nice thing about it. It's the river coming down. It's it's really really fresh water. I mean, it's there's just a touch of salt in the water, but you can get in and out of the water all day long and not feel that salty coating that you will have when you're in the Mediterranean. So I liked it for that reason, but a big snake, about a six foot snake swam by Chris when he, right after he jumped into the water. And I told him about the story about how we had a snake that climbed on the boat in, uh, in Scraton. And we found it a couple days later when we were sailing from Corchula down to Mijet. I guess it was probably three days later. My friend saw it on the deck and we threw it overboard. But they're not dangerous snakes. They're basically a water snake, but they're not venomous. But he was afraid of going into the water after that until after about an hour or two, we didn't see any more snakes. It was just that one snake we saw in the entire time we were up there. Now, next to us was a boat by the name of Yurt. And I swam around the back of it and said, Mountain Green, Utah. Wow. Another sailor from Utah. Nobody's on this boat. They're, it's it's anchored, and I think they've all gone to shore and gone up to Kirka Falls. And later on that evening, as they're coming back, that we see a dinghy coming back with uh, three kids in it and two adults. And I said, "Hey, Mountain Green," and he comes over and he says, "Sea Dream." He says, "Where are you from?" He said, "I'm from Salt Lake." And it was Jeff Whitmer who we had on the podcast a while back. Now the chances of running into somebody like that are pretty slim. But Jeff had just picked up his boat in uh, Lefkas, Greece, and sailed it up to Croatia and was spending time in Croatia. 
And we just happened to run into each other. And we did a podcast on the boat, on his boat that evening. And I'm not sure if the quality is going to be good enough to use or not. I haven't listened to it. But uh, we'll see. If I can get that uh, released, if the quality is good enough, I'll put it out on the podcast. If not, I will re-record it with Jeff when he gets back in about a year. Because his family is out for about a year of sailing as they sell this catamaran back to the Caribbean and then they plan on selling it in the Caribbean. But it was very pleasant to meet Jeff and his wife. They have a YouTube channel and I don't know what it is off the top of my head. My daughter made note of it and I will try to find it and put that in the show notes. So if you're interested, you can follow their their adventures as well. All right. On, on July 17th, actually it was July 18th, uh, before we got up to Scraden, I got a call from my daughter who told me my mother passed away that day. And I was not sure what to do. I'm, my mother was almost 90 years old. She would have been 90 in September. And she had a very pleasant passing. There was no suffering, and she lived in her house until, until she died. My sister, who lives in Indiana, has been the caretaker of my mother for years. And... I'm thinking, well, I need to fly back to be at her funeral. And and my sister said, no, no, we're going to have a memorial for mom later on. But mom wouldn't want you to fly back for her funeral. She did not have a funeral. She was just going to have, we're just going to have a memorial with the family uh, probably in, uh, in October. So my whole family is going to get together and and talk about my mother. So that was... That was difficult. All right. It was nice to have my family with me on board, Uh, my my wife and my other daughter on board, when I got this bad news. She lived a good life. She was a wonderful mother. And I hope I go as peacefully as she did. All right. Well, the family, uh, my daughter flew out and my wife flew out. Now I've been on my own for a few days. And uh, so they flew out on the 24th, my daughter, and I've worked my way, continued to work my way up the coast. I sort of boogied up the coast because I wasn't sure what the weather was going to be like. So I'm up in the Istria Peninsula right now. And um, what other problems have I had? I've had so many mechanical problems off and on. I've sort of lost, lost track of them. But we had the sink issue. We've had the engine starting issue. Oh, yes, I wanted to talk about the engine starting issue. So at uh, Sibenik, at uh, Marina Madalena, I got a mechanic to come on board uh, when we first arrived, which is on a Friday. And the trouble with pulling into a marina on a Friday is the whole charter fleets are all coming back. And he said, I can't take a look at it now. But he did get on the boat and looked at it. And he said, how old is the engine? And I said, well, it's the original engine, engine on the boat, so it's about 30 years old. Uh, pretty close to 30 years. And he said, how many hours? And I, I said, I don't know, a lot. My guess is probably ten to 12,000 engine hours. I don't have an engine hour meter on the engine. I wish I did. But he said, I think it's time for your engine and you to be departed. <clears throat> no, I don't want to. You know, I mean, this is a wonderful engine. If I can just figure out this fuel problem. It's 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 fine. 
But, I mean, everything dies at some point in time. The boat is looking older, older, older. I always have tried to keep it in top shape, but it's just getting old. I mean, sort of like me, I guess. <laughs> anyway, I got back, and I got another, you know, I got, he, he sent his regular mechanic down the second time I went back to uh, Marina Maddalena. After the charter fleet had left, I got down on a Monday, and on Tuesday he sent a mechanic over, and he said, start the engine. So I started, and it started up instantly. So he couldn't do anything for it. But basically, it's got to be a fuel problem. This morning, I tried to start the engine, and immediately it started, and then it died. And that tells me that there's fuel that gets to the injectors on the initial start, but then I have an airlock, and it's not coming in after that. So when that happened this morning, I tried to start it again, and it wouldn't do it. I came down below and tried to bleed the lines again. And as I was trying to bleed the lines, I could hear a tiny hissing. So I think there's somewhere in the line a leak of some sort. And that's still a problem I've got to work out. I had to hot wire the engine down below because there's nobody up above that can push the start. start. So you have to short out the uh, solenoid to start it on the engine itself. So it's a little more difficult being by yourself on the boat and trying to troubleshoot it but i was able to get it started after i came down and hand primed the uh the, the line and also bled it again so hopefully that'll solve the problem i i know it's got to be an airlock problem and when i get my friend dave harris on the boat this summer he's going to be solving the problem for me because he's he's the mechanic he'll figure it out all right i'm going to close out this podcast Maybe I'll do another one from the road or from the sea later on. Thanks for listening. I'm going to try to enlist your help in keeping this podcast going. I've been producing this podcast since January 23rd, 2012, and it's been a labor of love. And <laughs> for the most part, a non-monetized labor of love. And I need some sponsors. So if you are interested in helping me keep this podcast going, I would like to encourage you to think about and perhaps recommend companies or people who you think might be sponsors of this podcast. And let me give you a little bit of information which would help bolster the argument that they should sponsor this podcast. This podcast has been in continuous production since January 23rd, 2012. It's the oldest continuously running sailing podcast out of the 500,000 plus podcasts available in the iTunes directory. So far, there's been more than 425,000 downloads of this podcast. This podcast reaches a worldwide audience, the top countries of the United States and then Great Britain and then following that Australia. So primarily the English language countries. 56% of our listeners are 45 to 54 years old, and 43.3% of our listeners are 55 to 64 years old. So this is a mature, affluent listener audience. 68.1% are men, and 38.2% are women. This is a very strong community. I get quite a few emails from listeners, and I try to engage with the listeners, and get people on that they want me to interview. So if you write me a letter and you say, hey, you might want to talk to this person, 
I always try to reach out to the person you suggest and try to get them on for a podcast. So it's a, it's a fairly tight community. I consider my listeners my friends. So who should be interested in sponsoring this podcast? Well, this target market is a highly affluent boating community. And in 2016, the recreational boating market in the United States alone amounted to $36 billion. So people or companies who should consider sponsoring this podcast would be yacht charter companies, water sports apparel companies, boat equipment manufacturers, boat safety equipment suppliers, sailmakers, boat accessories such as eyeglasses, hats, and so forth, boat builders, and travel agencies, and anybody that's trying to market to this very specific niche community. I have more information available at the website And I'm willing to talk and meet with anybody personally that's interested in being a sponsor for this podcast. Just write me, franz1 at medsailor.com. And I would really appreciate your help in keeping this podcast going. The website is www.medsailor.com or simply medsailor.com. M-E-D-S-A-I-L-O-R.com. Thanks. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing.